Hey guys, if you're listening to this, then you've discovered that I'm using the coronavirus pandemic and ensuing quarantine as an excuse to start my own podcast, because why not? Um, Before I get into kind of what I'm hoping to do with this platform, I do want to say that if you are a podcast connoisseur and you listen to them all the time, um, you are going to be gravely disappointed with the production value of my podcast because I am spending exactly zero dollars on doing anything that makes the podcast sound kind of, you know, a little bit more sophisticated. I don't really know how to use or manipulate sound or audio files. Um, I'm literally just speaking into my iPhone right now and there's not even a script. Um, And the reason that I'm now kind of moving into podcasts as a way of expressing myself um, and as a form of expression is because I definitely have honed my skills and abilities as a writer in the last year, ever since John's accident. And I never really found writing to be incredibly cathartic uh, or therapeutic until this last year. And I'm grateful that I have that tool to kind of express my stories and experiences to, you know, my friends and family. Um, But with writing, you know, it will take me sometimes, you know, a month to even just get one sentence or one paragraph to sound the way that I want it to. And, you know, because writing has to be cohesive and it has to be fluid. And um, that in itself makes writing a little bit more of a limited form of expression than just oral storytelling. And, you know, I think that actually verbally speaking out some of the experiences that I've had since John's accident just kind of is going to hopefully allow me to hold a different lens to the last year of my life. Um, And in regards to audience and who I'm trying to reach with this podcast, uh, I'm pretty sure my mom will listen to this. Uh, My friends will probably put it on for a few minutes at a time when they're driving around or missing the sound of my voice during, during this quarantine. But I really am just doing this to honor my own experiences and my own growth and my own healing. So um, I'm not really kind of caught up on, you know, the numbers or even reaching, you know, I always try to have a goal of anything that I produce. I want it to reach a hundred people, but you kind of get what you give. And since I've already told you that I'm putting 0% of my money or investment into this podcast, I just hope that if you listen to this, you don't find it boring. Um, And what I want to do with this podcast is just kind of illuminate some of the more interesting and unique parts of this grief journey that I've been on in the last year. And uh, so there's going to be some spiritual elements to this, this podcast where I talk about spiritual experiences because that has been profound and unexpected for sure. I definitely want to talk more about just kind of dealing with grief and more of the tangible ways that you can kind of move through your life during um, during that time. So, you know, I do plan on having some episodes about that. Uh, and the reason for that is because since John died, I have been, and I'm going to use the word grateful because I don't know what else to, to, to use. Uh, I've been grateful and le- for the fact that people have 
thought that I, you know, they've, they've kind of connected me with people that they know who have lost their partners or spouses and said, hey, Sonia, can you please talk to my friend? Um, you seem to be doing pretty well. Can you help my friend? And at first when this started happening, um, it was probably about three months after John died and I was not doing okay. I was still a complete mess on the inside. Um, but even three months after John's death, when I was talking to my friend's friend who had lost her boyfriend, I could tell that, oh my gosh, you know, I am not where this girl is right now. I have grown, I have healed quite a bit. And, um, it gave me a little bit more kind of confidence in my own, my own journey as well. So, uh, so many people have connected me to their friends, um, who are unfortunately or unfortunate enough to have dealt with grief of their own. Um, that I do think that it's a value to me to kind of put some of the insights and, um, you know, just kind of experiences with, with moving through grief down into a podcast as well. So some of the episodes, like I said, will be more in the spiritual side and some of them will be much more just kind of normal life grief stuff, dealing with big emotions. Um, and then some of the episodes will be about how I've kind of blended together the spiritual side of my experience with my pretty much like scientific science because that's a word, side of my brain. Um, and because that has been a struggle for me. And I think that if you know me, you have seen in the last year through the things that I've posted, this kind of unfolding of these experiences and signs and coincidences. And I think people have just kind of seen me slowly come to the acceptance that I believe through my experiences that there is something else going on around us. Um, and when I, you know, now that I've said that and put that out there onto like the Facebook world and social media, there's also been quite a bit of misunderstanding about what that means. Um, when I say that I believe in God now, or I believe in, you know, the powers of the universe, uh, I'm, you know, a little bit surprised by some of the conclusions that my friends and people that know me have come to based on the things that I've said. So I think that there's just, there's not one single thread in this podcast. I have zero plan for what I want to say word for word in each episode. Um, But like I said, it's just kind of another way for me to kind of share and put out what's been happening in the last year in my own voice, um, adding in the kinds of ebbs and flows of natural conversation, even though I'm just talking to myself. Uh, So I wanted to start off with a more of a spiritual kind of thread to this this episode. And I'm probably going to have more to say on this later, but I wanted to start off by just kind of addressing when this spiritual unfolding, awakening, alignment, whatever you want to call it, when it all started because there's one I there's one idea that I keep bumping up against and um my, you know, I, I wouldn't say non-believer friends because I think that word, it, you know, it has nothing to do with belief. Um, my friends who have never experienced the things that I've been experiencing have every right to doubt that they are, um, you know, proof of anything. They're not, you know, evidence that there is something else going on out in the world. I get the skepticism 1000%. 
And um, I wanted to start out just by kind of talking about, from my perspective, how the unfolding and the spiritual awakening um, is, if anyone is surprised by it, I'm the most surprised. So I just want to talk about kind of my mindset, what I know about the human brain and the way that we think and operate, um, and how John's death should have gone versus how it did go. So I want to start off by talking about a quote that someone sent me a few months ago, and I won't go into the details, and I doubt that they are going to be listening to this podcast because they think I'm crazy, and um, I think they're, you know, there's been no kind of mystery about the fact that this person very much just does not, just thinks that I'm making up these experiences and drawing connections where there's nothing to connect the dots. And um, obviously I feel like they think that I was broken completely by grief. Grief made me crazy. And now I am just desperate to to connect to John again and to know that we're going to be together after I die. And the reason that I know that is because this is the quote that they sent me a few months ago um, before unfriending me on Facebook. So it's a quote by Carl Sagan's wife. um, And it's a quote that she kind of put out into the media after Carl Sagan died. And if you don't know much about Carl Sagan, um, join the club. I don't know much about him either, but he's definitely sciency because that is a word. Um, but someone who is kind of very much set in the fact that there is no place for a God or whatever in the universe. And so after Carl Sagan died, his wife released this quote. So let me just go ahead and pull it up and find it. One second. All right. I'm assuming it's still recording. Okay. So this is from his wife. When my husband died, because he was so famous and known for not being a believer, many people would come up to me, and it still sometimes happens, and they would ask if Carl changed at the end and converted to a belief in an afterlife. They also frequently ask me if I think I will see him again. Carl faced his death with unflagging courage and never sought refuge in illusions. The tragedy was that we knew we would never see each other again. I don't ever expect to be reunited with Carl, but the great thing is that when we were together for 20 years, we lived with a vivid appreciation of how brief and precious life is, and we never trivialized the meaning of death by pretending it was anything other than a final parting. And the quote goes on. So when I read this quote, you know, I just kind of laughed it off and said, okay, well, that's that's an interesting conclusion that Carl Sagan's wife has come to. And uh, I will have to tell you that the idea that the afterlife is an illusion that people create because they're too scared to face death is absolutely what I used to believe before John died. And um, I think that what Carl Sagan's wife says, and let me see if I can find her name. Anne, her name is Anne. What Anne is saying in this is very indicative of what skeptics, um, atheists will say. Um, And a lot of them, a lot of people that feel this way to kind of fully disclose everything, uh, have lost people that they have loved. 
and they have not gotten the signs that um, you know people like me talk about. They've not gotten these coincidences. They have not had visitation dreams um, where they know that they were, you know, with the person that they love. So because someone has experienced death and did not experience these outward signs and coincidences, I completely understand why someone like Anne would think that people like me who lose someone and then do get the signs, I understand why people would think that we are making it up or we are desperate and we are clinging for hope. And that is what I wanted to clear up in this first podcast. Um, I should very much still be in the boat that Carl Sagan's wife is in. I should be looking down at people who are talking about signs and heaven and afterlife like I used to, and I'm not proud of it, but I was very snarky about um, these kind of belief systems that suggest that life continues onward. And what I've come to understand and kind of through thinking about what my process and my brain was like um, and kind of what I know about thinking is that there's no explanation for why I did get the signs and the coincidences that I have gotten. And I want to start off by just kind of talking about what a sign from a dead loved one kind of feels like um, and how it is different than than the normal everyday coincidences that we have. Um, and so a sign would be when a coincidence happens and it has the personality of the person that you love who is dead. So a coincidence that feels like John. And it usually comes at a time where you're not even really thinking about that person or the death of that person. You're just, maybe you're usually panicked or like dealing with life stuff. And it's almost like you get a coincidence that feels like your person and it feels very comforting. And, um, And I would say that there are hard signs and then there are soft signs. So a hard sign would be something that, um, you know, if you ask 10 people, eight out of 10 of them would say, oh my God, that's, that's interesting that that happened. So that's what a hard sign would be. An example of that is, um, when John was alive, he and I would frequently talk about how pathetic I was with taking care of my car particularly the tires. I don't know how to use the machine that fills up the pressure in the air. Um, And he would always laugh at me because I would freak out when the tire pressure light would go on. So when John was alive, that was something that he and I would discuss. And then he died. And a week later in my car, the first day I decided to go back to work, Um, the tire pressure light in my car goes on. I lose it. He's dead. I know he's dead. So I don't call him. I don't, you know, ask him for help because I was still in that mentality that he was completely gone. So I see the light. I know my tires are low on pressure and I don't have any quarters and I go to work and I'm just freaking out about where to get quarters. And when I sit down at my desk at work, you know, at the high school that I teach at, the first thing a kid does when she walks into the classroom is go to her desk, come to me and say, hey, Uh, I just found some quarters on my desk. I don't know if you need them, but they're not mine. So I'm just going to put them on your desk. And so basically that would be a hard sign. It's a cool story. I didn't tell it as well as I could have and how I've told it in the past, but most of you guys already know it anyways, but that's a hard sign. 
Um, and a soft sign, I would say, is when, or the ones that we typically hear, um, and if you are not a spiritually experienced person, someone that has kind of felt a connection to something greater than themselves, then the soft signs that people talk about do sound very stupid. They are not, um, but I get why they sound silly. And an example of a soft sign is when someone says, oh, I saw a bird and I know that it was my grandmother. And you're like, did your grandmother like that kind of bird? Did she wear, you know, bird sweaters or did she dress as a bird for Halloween? Like, what's the connection here? And that's a soft sign. And I'll get into those later. Um, But so, yeah, signs and coincidences did start happening after John died. And I want to just talk about, oh, man, um, what I how I just kind of rationalized that and kind of, because the first thing that I did think when I started getting these signs and coincidences was that I was crazy and delusional and seeking out comfort in crazy little connections that I was making. And, um, no, that's, I'm not crazy. I wasn't connecting the dots. There were some very massive and specific things that were happening. And, I want to talk about the brain for a second and what I know about human behavior. Um, Our brains are constantly absorbing information. They are constantly absorbing experiences and our past experiences kind of in a way predict what our future experiences are. So my past experience with death is that people died and then they were gone. And then there were fairy tales that people had Um, about heaven and an afterlife. Everything in my life um, fit into that narrative, that people died and they were gone. When John died, the one thing I did not want to do, and there are witnesses to this, I did not want to be one of those people that was waiting for him to come home or just pretending that he was on vacation. Um, I didn't want to do that. And I made a very firm kind of, uh, you know, speech to my family. And I said, you will not say things like he will always be with you. And um, this was probably the second day after he died. And my brain should have then carried my experiences of death and life forward into the next year. So the idea of John being gone should have continued. I wasn't seeking anything. I wasn't looking for anything. And I didn't see a freaking bird outside my window. Legitimate sign. But there were some pretty hard signs after he died. And I, you know, so to me, that's the kind of the first thing that I wanted to put out there, which is addressing kind of how this spiritual quest or journey even started And acknowledging that, yes, it looks from an outside perspective that I was so sad and I was so desperate um, to feel him again, that I've concocted these things and, um, you know, created delusions in my head. And that's not how it happened. And so what has happened is we all as a society have collective experiences of one another if we are alive. So if I walk into a room, my friend can see me. The person across the the room can also see me and talk to me and I respond. And we know that I was in the room because collectively 
people can agree that I was there. There's tangible proof. People can touch me. They can take photos of me. So collective experiences are what we have in society. But when someone dies, when they physically die, the relationship that you have with them, if you choose to continue one, is uh, it is part of your personal reality. It's not a collective experience. It's a personal experience. Um, so if some, if I feel a connection to John, not many other people or anyone else is going to make those connections because it's now a manifestation of my own personal connection with John. So what a lot of skeptics end up doing and what I always used to do is when someone uh, loses someone, you know, when someone loses someone to death, um, and they have these signs and moments of connection, I would always try to take their personal experience and fit it into the collective reality that we all live in and say, well, if I can't see it, see it, see it. And if I can't, um, you know, have these connections with this dead person, then it's not real. And that's kind of what I've broken away from in the last year. Just understanding that I'm going to have my own personal experiences with John, God, the universe, source, whatever you want to call it. Uh, And letting go of the idea that the collective society, that everyone else has to be able to see and engage with my experiences. Um, I had to, I let go of that because the idea of something not being real simply because other people can't see or experience it, experience it, um, it doesn't fit my life anymore because so many of my experiences have been outside of this box of the normal collective experiences. So the last thing I want to end with is when I say that I believe in God or spirits, Um, And this is something that is a malleable, it's ever-changing kind of idea. Um, So when I say that, if if someone is very religious, they tend to then take what I've said and say, okay, well, Sony believes in God. This is what I think God is. And they kind of, you know, so to a lot of people, it's it's Jesus or it's, uh, you know, it's a part, it's, you know, reincarnation, whatever it is, and Krishna. And... I don't have any set parameters on what I think God or this energy is, but I do believe in it. I believe that there is something out there or many things out there that are invested in the human experience. And that's as far as I'll go with it. I, um, yeah, I, I don't enjoy the fact that people straw man my idea of God and try to say, oh, you believe in God. Well, then why do kids get cancer? And I'm like, you, we got to take it back, guys. Like, that's not even what it is that I'm saying exists out there. I don't believe in some giant puppeteer who's pulling our strings. That has not been my experience with what this energy, what God is. Um, and John's death, for whatever reason, just opened the door to all of these personal experiences that have led me to... I would say a very, um, a much more vivid appreciation of living in the moment and life. Um, the only thing that this belief in God, the universe, whatever, in the fact that I can keep engaging with John's energy, the only thing that it has done, um, is remove my fear of death. 
that's it. And I could be wrong. I could have, and I'll talk about that in another episode as well, about how our brains are really incredibly powerful. But I could be wrong and everything could just be gone and we could just be particles interacting with one another and sending electrical frequencies to, you know, I don't even know, you know, I know nothing about this stuff. We could just, this could be it, you know? Um, But if that's the case, I'll never know that I was wrong. And I think that uh, that is why I I don't really get the kind of atheist perspective or the super science-y perspective that if you believe in some sort of God or spirit energy, that you're not fully engaging with life here. And I'm going to end with just kind of how this new um, awareness of life around me uh, has has made each moment more vivid. So before John died, when I didn't have any belief systems, when I didn't think that there was a God or any higher power, whatever that means to you, if I saw a rainbow, I'd be like, oh my God, it's a rainbow. Cool. And I'd get on with my day. Now when I see a rainbow, holy shit, I stop. It takes my breath away. I think about how you know, I'm standing in the standing in the exact right moment where the water droplets are suspended and the sunlight is hitting in that exact right, that exact sweet spot. And I I sit and I look at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I was supposed to see this rainbow. How beautiful is it that the two things that give us life on this planet, water and light, create this thing of beauty. And John and everyone is a part of me seeing this rainbow because somehow I feel like he's connected to it. Um, because his death is the thing that got me to pay attention to the rainbow. So when atheists or non-believers or non-experiencers say, oh, you're not really living in the moment, life is for the living, um, I would argue that they are maybe missing out on a broader spectrum, a larger bandwidth of emotions that they can live their life with. But if you haven't experienced something like the things I've experienced then why would you believe in this stuff? Um, and I just kind of wanted to, this is the first episode, just kind of talking about how I even got into this belief of a higher energy out there because I should not have these beliefs. I should still be a firm atheist. Um, maybe my brain is just really good at finding things that it knows are gonna heal me. I don't know. These are all in the realm of possibilities. But when people say that I willingly or out of desperation kind of turn towards this idea of God or a larger or higher power, I do get a little bit persnickety because that is not how it happened. I know my own mind. Um, Grief is awful and terrible, and it is a very formidable foe. But it was not something. It wasn't like someone handed me a Bible and said, this will heal you. And I said, oh, my God, thank you. It was a very organic beginning to a spiritual journey or quest. Um, So that's the first episode. I don't even really know how people end podcasts, but I will be going on to the next one and discussing a little bit more about um, kind of the more unique aspects of this grief quest. Yeah, I'm just going to call it that, a grief quest. Anyways, thank you for listening, mom, whoever else is listening. Enjoy the quarantine.